advice to King Ahaz was unworldly. But it was right. Ahaz's actions, very worldly and very sensible in the short term. Make peace with the big fellas, don't worry about the little fellas. But in the long term, of course, it was disastrous. Now, in this plot of the politics that is happening in the late 8th century BC, we find politics, warfare, the prophet's advice, the failure of it, it's all woven around four sons. And so in the sermon now you'll see it's the four sons that I'm going to talk to you about so as to hold this whole section of Isaiah together. The first son is Isaiah's own son, Shear Jashub. His name was a mouthful for them as it was for us, though its meaning was very important. Most of us don't have meaningful names. We have traditional names. Philip means lover of horses. I don't. And what I've discovered over the years is it's completely mutual, uh, which maybe is why I don't. Peter means rock, and uh, most Peters aren't really known as rocky. But there are people who are called rocky, and there are people who are called joy and hope, and there used to be people who are called gay, but we can't call them that anymore. Very, very sadly, it's a lovely word, and it's a lovely name, but it's been destroyed for us. These words, these names, were Hebrew words and they meant what they meant. So when you told your name, people would know exactly what it was that was being spoken of. And this fellow's name, Shir Jashab, meant a remnant will return. It's a funny name because it really sounds good. A remnant will return. It's a really sad name because it says only a remnant are coming back. The rest are going. They're gone. They're going to be lost. They're going to be destroyed. So it's a bittersweet name, a remnant will return. When Ahaz goes out to inspect the city water supply, which is critically important in a siege, he knows the siege is coming to Jerusalem, check out the water supplies, a very good thing to do. Isaiah meets the king, just as God directs in chapter 7, verse 3. And the Lord said to Isaiah, Go out to meet Ahaz, you, and Shear Jashub, your son, at the end of the conduit of the upper pool in the highway to the washer's field. So he takes along his son and says, here's my boy, a remnant will return. This is not good news for the king. Can you imagine what an irritation this poor boy was? Every time his name was mentioned, he was an irritation. For his name speaks of destruction whereby only a remnant will continue, only a faithful few will survive what is about to come. The king's out inspecting the city to see how it will survive in a siege. And he's told only a remnant will survive. Not good news for the king. So Isaiah meets the king and says, don't worry about it. Don't act. Trust God. But all the time, the son standing beside him was a sign and a symbol of the future. A remnant, not the nation. A remnant, not the king. A remnant will survive. Now, the second son is Emmanuel. That's why you now start to hear, oh, yes, we are getting to Christmas time, aren't you? Because Emmanuel's the name 
Well, we have Emmanuel, God with us. We know what it means because it comes up every Christmas time, doesn't it? In the reading we just had in Matthew's Gospel, Jesus the Emmanuel. Uh, it could be the king's son. It could be anybody's son. was it the prophet's son. But the child is to be given this lovely name, so reassuring. God is with us. Until you stop and think about who God is. God is the angry, holy, righteous God who cannot stand the slightest sight of sin. And he's going to be with us. This is a mixed blessing, to put it mildly, isn't it? I mean, I've got too much sin for God to be with me. God gave Ahaz a choice. Choose a sign. Choose anything. Verse 11 of chapter 7 there. Ask a sign of the Lord your God. Let it be as deep as Sheol, as high as heaven. But Amos didn't want to ask God anything. And so he gives this kind of pious denial in verse 12. I will not ask uh, and I will not put the Lord to the test. So God says, okay, Ahaz, I'll give you a sign. A virgin will have a child called Emmanuel. And before Emmanuel is old enough to know the difference between right and wrong, Assyria will come and conquer. Everything is to be destroyed. So here is this child. God is with us. But it's a sign of judgment rather than a sign of salvation. Or at best it's a sign that God will still be with us in the midst of the judgment. Now that's not what you expect from Happy Christmas kind of Tories, is it? Emmanuel is mentioned again in chapter 8, verse 8. Look at there, verse 8 of chapter 8, and it will sweep on, that is the rivers of the Assyrian conquest will sweep on into Judah. It will overflow and pass on, reaching to the neck, and its outspread wings will fill the breadth of your land. Oh, Emmanuel. And note down verse 10 where the word in Hebrew is Emmanuel. Take counsel together, but it will come to nothing. Speak a word, but it won't stand. Why? For God is with us because of Emmanuel. It's a strange word, this Emmanuel, for it's a symbol of judgment and of salvation in judgment. The destruction by the land of Assyria is because of the holy God is with us. And so we come to the third son. He's mentioned in chapter 8, verse 1, then the Lord said to me, take a large tablet and write on it the common characters belonging to Mahashalahashbaz. This is Isaiah's son. And what a wonderful name to give him. Mahashalahashbaz. It kind of rolls off the thing. It's much better than Sheer Jashab. That's a hard one to say. Mahashalahashbaz. It's just one of those kinds of things you learn in Sunday school and never forget. And you're so glad that your parents called you Philip. <laughs> His name meant quick to the plunder, swift to the spoil. Might have been a mouthful to say, but what a name to carry around when the nation is under threat of invasion. He is the walking signpost of judgment and destruction. You can imagine calling the roll at, uh, at school in those days, you know, and is, swift to the, is, is quick to the plunder, swift to the spoil here today. 
Every time his name is given, the judgment of God is being declared once more. For the people will be destroyed. The floodwaters of the Assyrian conquest will wash away Syria, will wash away Israel, and will come right up to the necks of Judah, as if to almost drown Judah as well before they recede. And they will recede, as his brother's name testifies, because a remnant will remain. Assyria will not have the last word. Its power cannot and will not overcome God. But only a remnant will remain, because the Assyrians are going to be quick to the plunder and swift to the spoil. So within Judah there will be a remnant, which will return. And Isaiah's disciples, mentioned in chapter 8, verse 16, will stand as a testimony that God has told all this, that God has done all this, that God is in control even though his people seem to be under the power of the evil power of Assyria. God will be in their midst, but he'll be in their midst like a huge rock. A rock that you could use for safety, a rock that you could use for security. But sadly, it's a rock that the people will not trust. They will not shelter in it, they will not build upon it, but rather they will stumble over it and they will fall because of it. They'll follow rumours and conspiracies. That always happens, doesn't it? I mean, this land that we're talking of today, Syria, is in civil war now. Who knows what's happening in Syria? Every time I turn on the news, there's another story from another point of view and truth has been totally destroyed in the process, isn't it? Once you move into warfare, truth gets lost and rumours fly everywhere. Did you hear what they did to our village over there? Oh, but did you see what they did over there? And so people will hear of rumours and wars and rumours of wars and conspiracies and alliances and politics. And so the people in their lostness will turn, as we see over at the top of page 692, they'll inquire of mediums and necromancers, people who consult the dead, who chirp and mutter. You're the people of God. You don't go off to the witchcraft to find out what he is. Speak to God. Listen to God. But when you listen to God, you get Isaiah and his little boys, the remnant will remain. And his other little boy, swift to the plunder. That's the message of God. You see why they want to go off to necromancers and witches and anybody else that seances, let's find out some good news. That's what I want. There isn't all that much good news because Emmanuel, because God is with us. Oh, gee, if God wasn't with us, if God wasn't with there, wouldn't we a remnant? He would be utterly destroyed. But because God is with you, you will be punished. There is the problem. It's like the temple, you see. The temple was the place where you could go to meet with God and have your sins forgiven. But the way you got your sins forgiven was by the death, the sacrifice of an animal. So while the temple was a place of forgiveness, it was also a place of judgment. While the temple was a place where you find life, it was also a place that reeked of the stench of death. So, the people in the north 
sit in the shadow of the death of darkness. That's Israel, that's Syria, they're in the north. And the northern parts of Israel up there are, 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 the, are the very areas of Naphtali that you read about in chapter 9. They are the northern tribes uh, of uh, Zebulun, Naphtali. So, and why the north? Well, because when Assyria comes, though it is basically in the east, it travels around the desert and comes from the north. The invasion comes from the north. And so they're sitting in the darkness. But we see the fourth son, the wonderful counsellor. For the people sitting in darkness will see a light. It's like we would say, but there is a light at the end of the tunnel. It's a light of the new day, a new day of victory, a new day of peace. Such peace that people will get rid of their armaments. They'll get rid of their, the warrior's boots and the, the warrior's clothing. They'll be burnt. There's no longer any use for them. Why will there be such peace? Well, to us a son is given. Number four of the ones. And what's his name? Well, his name's far too long. They didn't call this one out the roll. For to us a child is born, chapter 9, verse 6, to us a son is given, and the government shall be upon his shoulder, and his name shall be called Wonderful, Mighty God, Everlasting Father, Prince of Peace. For he will be the heir of the kingdom, the kingdom of David, the kingdom of God, a kingdom that will never end, a kingdom of righteousness and justice for look at chapter 9 verse 7 of the increase of his government and of peace there will be no end on the throne of David and over his kingdom to establish it and uphold it with justice and righteousness from this time forth and forevermore my friends that was written around about 720 BC and here we are in 2012 as members of that kingdom that kingdom which goes to the ends of the earth, that kingdom which has now been operating for the last 2,000 years, that kingdom which will last forevermore, a kingdom that God and only God could bring. For no army, no emperor, no ruler, no human could bring this in as God. And so it's the zeal of the Lord Chapter 9, verse 7, last phrase there. The zeal of the Lord of hosts will do this. But it's when the fourth son comes that we see that Isaiah chapter 7 to 9 is both easy and difficult. It's both straightforward and frankly impossible because it's pointing forward to that true son who was not to come for another 700 years. It's easy because it all happened in Isaiah's time. We know the history of this period and we know what happened. Ahaz lacked faith in God and turned to Assyria. As Israel turned to its neighbour Syria and tried to fight against Assyria. And God used the Assyrians to destroy that coalition of Israel and Syria. Israel was destroyed. The, the, the ten northern tribes were scattered, never to be seen again. Lost were the tribal organisation of that nation called Israel. And Syria was defeated and destroyed. And Assyria didn't stop at that point. Assyria continued on into Judah 
and destroyed the villages and the towns of Judah until only Jerusalem was left. And then they laid siege to Jerusalem. And it was as if Jerusalem was also going to be destroyed until the very last moment when Sennacherib, who was the king of Assyria at that time, suddenly packed up and went home. Strange and extraordinary thing. It's recorded for us in the Scriptures. It's also recorded for us in the Greek historian Herodotus. It's also recorded for us in Sennacherib's own writings. That at the very last moment, for reasons which were mysterious, although the Bible explains it was God, that great conquering nation and tribe and empire, Assyria, left Jerusalem standing. The waters rose right up to the neck. But life continued. It's easy to understand it all because this all happened. And you can see how they would say, God was with us. Because he was. Because if it hadn't been God with them, they would have been destroyed like every other city had been destroyed. God is with us in salvation. But the reason that they were destroyed and the reason they were put in such situation was because God is with us in judgment. Having God with you is a double-edged sword. Here's our problem with Christmas, isn't it? People don't mind the idea of God with them because they're not thinking of the holy, righteous God who'll be angry with their sinfulness. You don't invite God to come into your home unless your home is spotless. And you know, and I know, that it's not. Or unless God is the Saviour who's coming to save. See, it's easy to understand this story because God was with them, Emmanuel. Because the destruction was quick to plunder and swift to spoil, it was astonishing. Within just 20 years, the whole world fell under the influence of Assyria. Mahashalahasbaz was true. And the remnant did return, Shia Jashub, Although Assyria conquered everything, Jerusalem stood. There was always this little remnant. But it's difficult and impossible to understand because it's only when Jesus is born that we see the Emmanuel arrive. Funny thing about Emmanuel and Jesus, he's never called Emmanuel, is he? His name will be Emmanuel, but he's actually... Matthew chapter 1 verse 20, it's the only time he's actually referred to as Emmanuel. But if ever God was with us, God was with us in the person of the Lord Jesus Christ. For he was God the Son, become man. But when God is with us, the very next thing that happens is recorded for us in Matthew's Gospel is the judgment and suffering which took place all the way through his life right straight away with the massacre of the little boys in Bethlehem as that corrupt, evil, degenerate man, Herod the Great, and he was awful amongst the rulers of this world. He was a classic awful person. Would rather kill every boy under the age of two than allow somebody to come who could be the true king of Israel. So awful was that man that on his deathbed he had two of his sons assassinated because he didn't want them to take over his crown. 
He was a very sick old head, if ever there was one. And so the killing of the boys of Bethlehem fits his character to a T. But it also is the nature of God with us. For when God comes into the world, the conflict with evil is on for one and all. And so Jesus came preaching in Galilee, preaching to those who were sitting in the darkness in Nebula and Zaphtali. For he is God's stone. He is God's chosen rock, the rock for salvation that the nation of Judah will stumble over, as indeed Isaiah prophesied they would, and we saw last week in Isaiah 6. He came to free those living in the shadow of death, but the way he came to free those living in the shadow of death was to experience the judgment of God himself in his own death. You see, God is preparing us in Isaiah for the coming of the Emmanuel. And people who do not read Isaiah do not understand when Jesus was born that he was born to die, that he was born to suffer, that the kingdom would come through pain and opposition, conflict and the rising of the forces of evil to try and destroy him. But if we'd understood our Isaiah properly, Why then, we wouldn't have crucified the Lord of glory. But because Judah didn't understand Isaiah, because the rulers of this age didn't understand, they did what Isaiah said they would do. They crucified him. It's only when we meet Jesus, risen from the dead, that we finally tumble to his wonderful name, For he is indeed the wonderful counsellor, the almighty God, the everlasting Father, the Prince of Peace, whose kingdom of justice and righteousness is the kingdom of David, which knows no end. For notice his name, the name that is given to him in Matthew's Gospel. It's not actually Emmanuel, it's Jesus, Joshua in the Hebrew. And Jesus means saviour. You'll call him Jesus because he will save his people from their sins. He was Emmanuel, but he was called saviour. And it's because he's saviour that we can invite him into our home, dirty as it may be, with all the memories that we try to repress alive and well, all the things that we should never have done, the words we should never have said, the thoughts we should never have had, the actions we should never have done, we can invite him in. Because though he is Emmanuel, God with us, he comes as Jesus to save his people from their sins. For Jesus comes in both judgment and salvation. You can't have God with you without having both judgment and salvation. He comes, though, not to judge but to save because he comes to save by bearing the judgment himself, dying for us in our place in order to bring us the salvation. 
Isaiah 1 to 9, even on to 11, is God's preparation for Christmas. He gave us the clues, he gave us the ideas as to what would happen when his son Emmanuel came amongst us to save us. It would mean suffering. It would mean the apparent conquest by the forces of evil. It would mean the cross of Calvary. And in that judgment of God on sinfulness, the remnant repent and return and find forgiveness and find a new start which is so marvellous for us all. And so in a few moments' time, we're going to celebrate our Lord's death. Nothing better to do when we're celebrating his birth. For he came to die and rise again that we may have God with us in that salvation that he's won for us in that judgment that he's born for us. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we thank and praise you for all good things that you give to us. But above all, for the Lord Jesus Christ, we thank you for preparing the way through your prophets of old. We thank you for revealing what you are doing in the judgment of the world and in the salvation of the world. We thank you, Heavenly Father, though, that you did come in the person of your Son, you sent him to be our representative and our substitute, to die our death in our place, to take upon himself the wrath that we deserve, so that when you were with us, judgment could truly be paid and salvation freely extended. Dear Father, help us to so understand your horror of our sinfulness and the necessity of such judgment that we may truly rejoice this Christmas in the glory of the salvation that you have won for us through your beloved Son. And we ask this in his wonderful name. Amen. Amen.